But our associate pastor, Pastor David, is going to be bringing our message. Not only is it awesome for myself to work with other pastors, but it's certainly always a great privilege because David is not only our associate pastor, he's also my son and the third in the line of Cushing pastors. Um, people don't always know some of the things that, that Pastor David does. Um, I like to say that he's a smarter of the two of us because that's true. And he writes our encouraging words. Um, I get byline on it because he'll send it over to me and I'll make some corrections and stuff, but we appreciate that out of him. He's also preparing our um, Lenten study. He's not only preparing the sermon series that we're going to have, he's writing a devotional that goes along with it, and also a study guide for all small groups in our congregation, as any group that meets, they're able to then study the scripture that we do on Sunday morning. He also covered during the time I was away, and there's lots of other things. But, you know, sometimes I realize, as a senior pastor, we don't always let people know all of the stuff that our associate pastor does, and so it's good to have you here this morning, and we're also not only looking to this morning's message, but also our Lent study, which is the next thing that'll be coming up as he prepares and is in the final phases of writing that curriculum for our church, and that will be based on Isaiah 53. So welcome, Pastor David, and my son, David. doing all this praise and adulation. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Um, so we're going we're gonna to restart because I have an opening story. That wasn't it. So we're going to clear our minds for a moment. Ready? Go backwards. So we all have moments in our lives, weekends maybe especially, that really jump out. That you may say, you know, I can remember that weekend specifically. Now maybe it's for something really good that happened. Maybe it's something really terrible happened, or maybe it's just a really interesting first moment you had in your life. For me, I grew up taking quizzes. I grew up taking tests. But when I became a freshman in high school, I had my first ever exam that I had to take and study for. And it was going to be a mid-year examination that unlike a, a test test is only part of your quarter, an exam shows up on your report card by itself. So if you don't do well, your parents know. This was not in the time of Aspen and things like that, so there was much less grade transparency on everything except for the exam, and I knew that I needed to prepare. So what did I do? It was a Friday afternoon, 2004. I was a freshman in high school, January and the bell rings, I get out of my math class, I walk upstairs, I go up to the room where my physical science teacher is. Now, it's funny what we remember and what we don't. I remember details and smells and things, but I cannot for the life of me, even with internet searching, I could not remember the name of my physical science teacher. But I remember that she had a son, I went to a private school, and I, she had a son named Jameson. So Jameson's mom, my teacher, I went upstairs, with a couple other kids, and we studied and we crammed for our exam the following Monday. And she gave me all sorts of review sheets and notes, and I felt really good. So I went to my parents, got home, walked down the street, and I said, hey, I'm going to be really responsible this weekend. I'm going to take all the time. I'm going to really study hard for this physical science exam. I'm going to crush it, going to do great. It was 2004, so we didn't say crush it. I probably said something like, I'm going to do great. But who knows? Funny how we remember some details and others. So 
they agreed. They said, wow, David, we're so proud of you. That is amazing. Look at you. You're so studious. Congratulations. So my, we were in a 100-year-old house, and it had a couple different levels. So I climbed the stairs up to the second floor where my dad's office is. I closed the door, and I just say, you know what? Just give me space this weekend. I'm going to work very hard. For the next 48 hours, I played a variety of computer games, including uh, Red Faction, Age of Empires. Um, before there was World of Warcraft, we had a game called EverQuest. Played a decent amount of that. And needless to say, there was not a lot of studying that went on. Now, that wasn't that I was being defiant or being a jerk. The reality is, is that I walked into that study with every intent of studying. But did I? Well, no, of course not, because every time it was almost time to open out my physical science notes, I wasn't emotionally ready. I needed a little more time. Just, I needed to pause. I, just, I wasn't in the right mind space, because we all know that studying has to happen under the perfect conditions, and if you don't have the perfect conditions, it's all pointless. Well, no, the only thing pointless was my grade that Monday when I nearly flunked my physical science exam and my parents, who were so proud of me for studying, started to realize, wait a second, maybe he just cowered in fear instead of dealing with something in his life. Now, that is a silly example, but we all have giants in our lives. We have things that we encounter that we have two options. We can either approach them and say, I'm going to have the right approach, or we can cower in fear. And so the timeless example for that is the story of David and, fill in the blank, David and Goliath. Oh, see, very good. We all get an A+. Plus. Now, rather than just sitting and reading the passage, I'm going to encourage you over the next couple of days, we write exactly a daily devotional, um, but we write what's called the encouraging words. Uh, Pastor Stan mentioned it. And so in that, it's going to break up the text, which is 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, into five days. You'll get five readings, and you'll have some things to think about and to look at. So I invite you to take these moments now. Don't consider this a sermon. Consider this kind of the introduction to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, the origin story of David, the boy who goes from shepherd boy to king, defeats the mighty Goliath, and this is going to be our introduction. But... Let's just preface that with an understanding of what is in these two chapters. Chapter 16 is all about the initial finding of David. Now, let me backtrack for a moment. We have Israel at this time had been ruled by judges. What is a judge? Is it a prophet? No, it's not a prophet. Is it a king? No, it's not a king. Is it a chief? No, it's a judge. A judge is a judge. It's kind of a unique position of authority that ruled over, served, looked after Israel, and helped Israel follow God. There were a number of judges, and we come to the final judge, Samuel. Now, Samuel is trying to lead the people and trying to do the right thing, but the people are just looking around. They're like, you know, every other kingdom and every other nation has it better than us. Oh, sounds, sounds just like our lives. We're always looking around saying the grass is greener over there. So they say, God and Samuel, here's what we need. We need a king, so we're like every other nation. And God and Samuel are like, are you sure? Kings are awful. You want a king? They're like, no, no, no. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. So they get this guy, King Saul, and he's handsome and he's strong and he's great, except he's a king. So like he's arbitrary and he's cruel and he's not great. And eventually there comes the decision, wow, we got to start moving on from King Saul. And so God says to Samuel, 
Go anoint a new king. Find a new king, but this time we're going to find a king after my own heart. We're going to find the right kind of king for Israel. And so that brings us to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. So Samuel arrives to the town of Bethlehem where he's going to meet this man, Jesse, who has all these sons. So we line up all the sons, and they all come here, and it's here's son one and son two all the way to seven, and Samuel assumes that one of these is going to be the king that God has chosen. Goes to the first, nope, second, nope, all the way to the seventh. And then Samuel says, well, Jesse, you got any more sons? Jesse said, well, yeah, I got a little, little boy named David. He's out uh, in the fields. We'll bring him. This ends up being the one who is anointed, who is chosen, and then this boy is also a great musician. And so remember King Saul, that not super great king. Samuel has anointed David, and now David goes into the service of King Saul and plays music. And when Saul has a troublesome spirit and fits of rage and makes irrational decisions, David's able to calm him down and, and play music and soothe his soul. But during this time, we don't just have interpersonal court intrigue going on with King Saul, we also have an external threat. We also have the Philistines have come, and they want to make war with Israel. Now, this has been an ongoing thing. There's been a lot of Philistine stuff, and they say, you know what? It's time for war. Here we are. And this is where our friend Goliath comes in. Big, tall guy, eight-foot-tall, armor, sword, saying, who is going to fight me? If you beat me, we will be your servants. If I beat you, you will serve us. And everybody's afraid. Everybody's terrified. And we often like to point out in the text, because one of the things that our church we like to do is really point us back to Scripture and deepening our biblical literacy. So here's something I want us to remember. There's a legitimate problem in the text we have to reconcile. Goliath is legitimately scary. It made sense that everybody was terrified. There are things in our lives that are legitimately scary. One of the things we can sometimes do that maybe isn't super helpful, it's like a half-truth. People say, oh, faith, not fear. That's really nice. But the problem is, is that faith is about understanding fear, its right place, and seeing that God is bigger than our fear, not just discarding it. So everybody was afraid except for David, and we're going to see why. Because we all have Goliaths in our lives. What do you have today that is an eight-foot-tall, terrifying guy in armor pointing a sword at you? I have one. We all have it. Take a moment and think. What is that thing that is actually legitimately scary in my life and rightfully so? Now, it was the wisdom of another boy. I never got to know David the shepherd boy, but I got to know when I was in college, my pastor's son, his name was Zach, and he was this nine-year-old kid, and he really liked me for one reason, I think. I hung out with him a lot and babysat him and did different things with him. He was a musician, little kid. But the one thing he liked more than anything else is every time I saw him, we had a lightsaber battle. And now I don't mean like pantomiming lightsabers. I mean he legitimately had lightsabers that he would bring with him everywhere. But I always had to be Darth Vader because of the red lightsaber, right, if we have any Star Wars fans. But with Zach, I wasn't just Darth Vader. I was stinky Darth Vader. So after a number of times, I was like, Zach, uh, I, you're, you're great. I love playing lightsabers. I'm not quitting, but explain. What's going on? He's like, well, yeah, David, duh. Stinky Darth Vader never wins. I always win because I'm Luke Skywalker or Qui-Gon Jinn, and like, I always win when we play lightsabers. 
And then it was around that time that he also wrote a song for our church. Now, I don't remember it ever getting used for our church. Oftentimes the songs nine-year-olds uh, get used, are, right, are a little more things we talk about than things we sing in church. But he wrote a song, My God is Bigger Than You, Stinky Goliath. And so between Stinky Darth Vader, who never won, and Stinky Goliath, I start to think, okay, there is some sort of theme. So what can I learn from this nine-year-old? Why does he see Goliath as stinky, not scary? Why did David the shepherd boy look at Goliath and say, he's not scary, God's bigger than him? Well, I, I, I take it back to cheese. Is that, do we have any cheese fans? Anyone like to eat cheese? Okay, cheese is delicious. I love cheese too, but here's the problem. If you get a really stinky cheese, like stinky cheese man level cheese, this is not cheese, it's a battery, but it's going to pretend to be our cheese today. Get that much like stinky Jarlsberg or... Um, something like stinky, put that in your refrigerator and what happens? Lots of cheese smell everywhere. Suddenly the eggs smell like cheese, right? Stinky, it stinks. It's all consuming. One of the things that we can view Goliath and the Goliaths in our lives that's more helpful is that it's not that they're terrifying. If we can learn to see, it's not that they're terrifying, they're stinky. They're all consuming. When, when we don't properly deal with the Goliath in our life, it just takes over everything else. And who offers the prototype to deal with it? It's these two chapters, 1 Samuel 16 and 7 with David. Goliath can go from scary to stinky, but we have to remember something. God in the Bible doesn't usually just come in overwhelming force randomly and take care of problems. And this is a, a practical theology for each of us an understanding of God and implications for our lives. The way we tend to interact with God is God is faithful and he wants us to partner with him. Think about in the Old Testament for a moment, you'd be like, David, that doesn't make sense. What about the time there were all the plagues and uh, God sent the plagues to Egypt and Pharaoh let the people go? Well, yes, that's true, except for God also sent Moses 10 times back and forth to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, who any time Pharaoh got upset at Moses, he could have beheaded him, and Pharaoh was legitimately terrifying. God works with us and partners with us. We have to be obedient and faithful and say, here I am, Lord, send me. What can I do to help? What can I do to further your will? How can I be part of your solution? How can I, knowing that you can make Goliath go from scary to stinky, what would you have me do, Lord? And that happens all in the Old Testament. I won't give you a bunch of others, but Esther and Haman, that's another example. In our lives, the way we do this is we embrace who God made us to be and live confidently. That doesn't mean if I'm the world's biggest jerk, embracing all the places where I'm the world's biggest jerk. It means humbly looking and saying, okay, yeah, I'm not perfect. I have moments where I'm not great. God, I want to turn away from myself, turn towards you, Lead me, guide me, what can I do? And the person that offers a really great prototype of this is that shepherd boy who defeats Goliath, shows that like my friend Zach, Goliath is not scary, he's just stinky. And there's a couple things we see right in here in the text. Your age is your advantage. Now, it's an asset. Now, we often misunderstand this because I remember being like 14 and wanting to be old. I was like, oh, I'm too young on everything. Now that I'm 32, I think, oh, I'm too old. I wish I could be young again. But for each of us, you can be middle-aged, you can be old, you can be young, no matter where you are, 
If you're willing to faithfully serve God, there's a lot of unique things you can do based on your age. When you're a teenager, you can interact with people as a teenager. When you're in your 30s, you're a 30-year-old. There's all sorts of ways that you can interact. Don't let people write you off for being too young, too old, too middle-aged. That's, none of that is helpful. We aren't the wrong age. We are the age we are today. We have to embrace the generation we're in. Now, our society is funny on generations. I bet most of you will do a quick show of hands. Where are my boomers in the room? Where are my Gen Xers in the room? See, you all know this. Look at this. Where are my millennials? I'm millennial. My hand is up. And where are my Gen Zers? Now, apparently, a well-done guy, a very, very enthusiastic Gen Z. Now, apparently, my daughter's generation is Generation Alpha. I hope that doesn't stick. That's kind of a weird thing. Now, the reason I had us do that, look, we're all different ages. We're age diverse. If we just say, you know what? We just listed a bunch of different generations. The only one we want is boomers. The problem is, is that I just have to wait until I'm that age to be able to do anything. That's not what it means to be faithful, and that's not what David teaches us. Let's look right in the text. David needed to embrace his age. He needed to trust God. You'll see that later in the text, he's too small to wear the heavy armor because of his age. In his interaction with Goliath, look at what happens. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. Goliath wrote David off. That became David's advantage, his asset. The very thing that made it so Goliath was like, are you kidding me? They're sending me this little shepherd boy? Like, what is going on? He doesn't, he's, not, he's not an art. He's not a warrior. He doesn't have armor. What's going on? That is the very thing that David was able to use. It gave him the ability to uniquely serve God. And how does he do it? He doesn't do it with armor. He does it with a couple stones and a sling. Fooling Goliath was possible because of his age. We all have things like that. We all have, in the scary thing of our life, there's something about who we are today, our age, that will allow us to have a good way forward. And I'll tell you, the, the person that usually writes us off is not Goliath. For David it was, but usually the person who writes me off is me. For each of us, it's generally the person who says, oh, you're too young, is me. The person who says, I'm too old, is me. The person who says, I'm too boring, me. Do we hear that common denominator? For each of us. If David just said, oh, I, I, I could do this, and God would be with me if I was a little bit older, we wouldn't be having this story. In the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you for your youthfulness. Yes, even though Goliath or yourself wants to write you off for age, if we start seeing no, David's young, he's a shepherd boy, that's okay, that's his opportunity, then that next step is your experience, is your skill set. That's another thing we overlook. We, we look at all the good things, the bad things in our lives, and we tend to do one of two things. We either let them overly define us in a negative way, or we tend to overlook them. But that's not helpful. Look at the very beginning of when you look at the text later. In chapter 16, it says this. David is keeping sheep. So Samuel shows up. He wants to meet all the sons of Jesse. Where is David? He's keeping sheep. Now, what does that have to do with Goliath? Okay, well, later, when David has an opportunity to talk to King Saul and he has to plead his case for why he can go fight Goliath, 
He says, well, obviously, I can handle this because your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion, I went after him and struck him. David had a skill set from being a shepherd that maybe wasn't being a warrior, but his experience allowed him to have this unique way that he could serve God. Now, that makes me think of a basketball example. I love the NBA, if you know anything about me. Uh, ball is life. We love hoop. And one of my favorite guys ever, any NBA player ever, is this guy, Robert Ory, Big Shot Rob. Anybody remember Robert Ory? Maybe not. Look at that. Most people don't. Robert Ory has more championships than Michael Jordan. Robert Ory has more clutch shots in the NBA Finals than any other player. You don't remember Robert Ory, maybe, maybe not, but I look at Robert Ory and I say he's arguably the greatest champion because while he only averaged seven points a game over his career, while he was a journeyman, while he bounced around from team to team, when he played for the Rockets early in his career, he hit an amazing game-winner shot in the NBA Finals, and from that moment, he was a champion. His experience was being in a tough situation in pressure, making the shot. And he carried that with him to each of his teams. He won championships with the Lakers. He won championships with the Spurs. He became known as Big Shot Rob. Now, I remember when Kyrie Irving a few years ago came to the Celtics, and if you know anything about Kyrie Irving, he also had a Robert Ory moment. Early in his career, in 2016, he has this amazing game-winner shot over Steph Curry. Amazing. And so those of us who were Celtics fans were like, this is great. He's a really clutch player. He's going to bring that championship experience, pedigree. We're going to get Banner 18. It's going to be awesome. Now, the truth is, is that Kyrie Irving is not Robert Ory. Kyrie Irving may have more championships. I'm, I'm sorry, more um, all-star appearances. He may have a higher um, point-per-game average. But the reality is he's just a well-paid, good player who's kind of a star player. He's not Big Shot Rob. Rather than saying, I'm a champion, I'm going to just play like that in every moment, he's just another good NBA player. Each of us has experience. We can choose to be like Big Shot Rob and say, I don't have to be the greatest athlete, the tallest, the biggest, but I can learn from my experience and use it, or we can just kind of go about our lives. That's an opportunity we have. What are your experiences? I want to go into a couple of them. Think for a moment. Your experience is a skill set. If you have been, I'm just going to go right there. If you've been divorced, you have an amazing skill set. That was an awful experience, and I'm really sorry it happened. That's an amazing skill set that you now have to make a difference for God with hurting people in our community, in your family, in our world, in this area. There are people going through painful divorces right now. There's people who have that going on. You have an amazing skill set because you've dealt with that experience. You've seen God be faithful through it. You've seen what went well. You've seen what went wrong. You can now take that and you can make a difference for other people. If you've lost a child, if you've lost a parent, if you've lost a spouse, if you've lost a dog, if you've lost a house, if you've lost a job, that is a skill set. That is an opportunity to serve God, to look at the things that are otherwise scary and say, no, I, yeah, that looks scary for everyone else. It's just stinky. It's just overwhelming. Yes, God is bigger than that. We can get there. 
We don't need to fear the scary things because we can look and say, what about my experience? What about where I've been brought to right now? What, in what ways is God using that, setting me up so that I can make a difference? That could be addiction. Could have faced homelessness, mental illness. Whatever that is, if we look at those and say, oh, if anyone found out, it'd be the end of the world. No, kind of, kind of the opposite, honestly. If, if God has faithfully used you through those experiences, you have now a skill set where you're able to make a difference. It's not a huge problem that those things happened now because now you have the opportunity to say, okay, God, how can I serve you today? It's like our age. I'm not too young or too old. I'm the age I am. Each of us is not too young, too old. We are the age we are. The same way with our experience, it's a skill set. Let's use it. And that allows us to start facing Goliath. But there's a lot of stuff about me in this. So, and, and, or me, you, I. There's a lot of things where you're like, David, you know, this, this is good, but this is almost a little self-helpy. Like, what are we doing? You're right. Your age is your advantage is about me. Your experience is your skill set is about me. It's about God working through me on both of those because we have to remember your anointing is your weapon. Everyone gets it wrong. David's weapon was not a sling. It was not stones. David's weapon was the fact that he was anointed by God. Look at what happened previously. In verse 12 and 13 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint David, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. David had a moment where he was declared anointed. Now you can say, that's a church word, what does that mean? Okay, here's simple. Anointed means God is with me. That it is an outward sign where I know that I am chosen, that I am someone who God is working in. And now you can say, David, that's, that's great, but David was anointed, I'm not. No, 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 you are. If you've been baptized, you have been anointed. We know that that's one of the reasons why the New Testament puts so much emphasis on baptism is it is an outward sign of an inward change. I'm not going to go into all the theology of the new birth and John Wesley and things like that. However, if I have been baptized, I know that I am anointed. I know God is with me, working through me. And now I have an opportunity to work in the process he's put me on. He's made me today 32. I'm not 62, I'm not 12. He's today given me all the experiences and allowed me to be where I am today, and I'm anointed. But I want to be clear, when we look at David, David did not just show up to the Philistine camp and say, hey, I want to fight someone. David worked within the process that he was given. God had given him a framework. God had been orchestrating events so that now David finds himself facing the Philistines, facing this scary guy, with the opportunity to make a change and to make a difference. It's not that David just said, oh, I'm so awesome, I'm such a great warrior, I want to prove it by fighting someone. And that's something that's really key. If we're going to claim our age, which is really important, we're not getting younger, and if you're young, you're not getting older as fast as maybe you want to. If we're going to claim our experience and say, okay, I am where I am today, and I can use this to make a difference, then that gives us the opportunity. 
we have the opportunity to say, okay, I'm willing to move forward. I'm willing to see that Goliath doesn't have to be scary. He can be stinky. I can be willing to do the hard thing, to look at and say, yes, I can step forward knowing that God is with me. The Lord is on my side. He fights my battles. So I'll give you a tangible example. I'll give you an example of a time where this has been real in my life. I'm in seminary, and that means basically that I'm just studying to be a more formalized version of a pastor. And so as I'm going through seminary, one of the things we did is we got put in these groups with all these other young aspiring pastors. And so for a while, we met on Zoom. Now, if you've ever met on Zoom, this is one of the great conversations happening in our culture. Can we have friendships that are just online only? What do you think? Do you think you can have a deep, meaningful friendship with someone you've never met in person? Show of hands if yes. Yeah, about 40%. That's, that was in the same service too. About 40% of people say yes, 60% say no. Uh, just wait till my kids are like 30 and everybody's in virtual reality and we'll probably be having a whole different conversation, but that's another headache for another day. However, I want to pause it and say yes. It is possible to have a deep friendship with someone and here's why. So I was in this group and honestly, there were times where we were kind of Zooming ourselves to death, where you go on there, you share, you wait for the other person to talk, and you move on, you pray. We kind of feel good about it, but it's not a deep friendship. But then my friend Dan, who's one of the guys in my group, his wife gives birth to the baby, and the baby is instantly taken from them, med-flighted away. They live in Pennsylvania, med-flighted to Hershey. And for the next month, they have heart surgeries and they have all sorts of procedures and things to get the baby stable and doing well. That's a Goliath. That's terrifying. Okay, I'm a parent. Terrifying. If we say, oh, faith, not fear, that's not terrifying. No, that's terrifying. God is bigger than that, but that is a terrifying experience. However, I couldn't do anything me to change any of that. But remembering my baptism, remembering I was anointed, remembering that God has given me the opportunity to positively make a difference, I reached out to my friend Dan, and I said, hey, can we do a couple calls? Can we FaceTime? How can I support you? And we got to know each other on a personal level at that time. Now, I've never met Dan in person, but even through screens, even on the phone, I was able to say, you know what? What can I do to make a difference? It wasn't a lot. It was just being a friend. It was just talking to him about his feelings. Now, then I got to know a little bit his wife as well. And eventually, our, my wife and his wife connected. And now, his wife is one of the most faithful members of a small group through our church, Faithlings, that's a Tuesday night group. And so, they're connected with us. He's actually home today and watching. Hi, Dan. Um, no, he really is. Um, but the reality is, is that I didn't need to fix anything. It was a legitimately scary thing. To be faithful is just to say, hey, how can I help? Being a friend helps. Being available, remembering I'm anointed, remembering that it's okay for me to offer to pray with my colleague. It's okay for me to say to my relative who maybe is or isn't a Christian, hey, I know you're going through a hard time. How can I help? I care. What can I do? Maybe that's pray for you. Maybe that's visit with you. Maybe that's whatever. Just be open to it. Because when the Goliaths in our lives come, if we cower in fear, we miss the point. Something I want to bring up is the brothers. 
The brothers missed the point. The brothers were young too, and they wrote themselves off. Remember the, the seven brothers lining up in front of Jesse? They were all young as well. They could have all stood up against Goliath. The brothers also missed the point with experience. They were all shepherds too. David's key was the fact that he had shepherding experience that allowed him to stand up to Goliath. So did those brothers. They stayed on the bench. Each of them was anointed too. Yes, David had been anointed as the eventual king. I promise I won't go into any gore detail. All those brothers had been circumcised. They had been shown that they were part of God's chosen people, anointed. They passed up the opportunity. Our choice when we face Goliath is, are we going to be David or are we going to be the brothers? That's the opportunity because we know that, that when the scary things come, God is going to use someone. That is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. You can be Joseph with his brothers in the book of Genesis and taking what people had meant for evil and taking that as good and allowing God to redeem it. You can be Esther stepping up such a time as this, or you can be those brothers just sitting on the bench and letting everybody else do it. Now, did they live awful lives? No, they, they ended up being brothers to the king. But we don't really remember their names. I'm, like, if we just want to kind of sit and say, okay, there's scary things to come. Other people are going to be faithful and follow God and all. Maybe support them a little bit monetarily. Okay. But the reality is, is that is really a shadow version of what God offers us. He offers us the chance to step up to be David, to say, God, use me. My age, it's not that even that it doesn't matter. I can embrace who you made me to be and live confidently. Think about this. It's not that I can embrace all the worst aspects of myself. I can embrace who I am in Christ who I am as a chosen person, anointed, understanding that I don't need to have all the answers, I don't need to tell people off, I don't need to sit and shame them, I don't need to do all the things that we think we have to do, I just need to be available and say, my age doesn't matter. I am the age I am today, I have a unique context. My experiences, they don't make it so I can't help, they, they've made me who I am today, how is God going to use them as a skill set? And yes, I am anointed. God is with me. God is working through me. When we do that, Goliath's not a big deal. It's a silly line, but he goes from scary to stinky. So I invite you, if, if you're feeling today like, wow, there is just something that's so overwhelming in my life, it's eight-foot Goliath pointing the sword at me, you have a choice. I have a choice. Am I going to be the brother and let everybody else do it and wait for David to show up? Or I'm going to say, here I am, God. I can be part of your solution. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that today we would be open to your leading. We'd be open to your guiding. We would not write ourselves off. We would say, yes, Lord, I'm available. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.